0: We'll open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Lord willing, next Sunday night will be our last sermon on Acts. After that point, Exodus will return to the evening, and in the morning we will start Philemon. Start Philemon, Lord willing, on the first Sunday of November in the morning. Exodus chapter 21. Remember Exodus 21? We looked last week at the Book of the Covenant. What God told Moses immediately after the Ten Commandments, which then Exodus 24 calls the Book of the Covenant. We saw last time that this Book of the Covenant tells us about the righteousness of God. It describes justice toward our neighbor, how to love our neighbor, and it describes piety towards God, how to worship God. So, justice and piety, loving God and loving neighbor, that's what's in this book of the covenant. The book starts with this section on slaves in 21, 1 through 11. So, listen to the word of God. Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges, he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever." And if a man sells his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the servants do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, Then she shall go out free without paying money. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us great insight into your righteousness and the demands of your just law, that you would show us your character as the one who frees the oppressed, who cares for the slave, who brought your people out of slavery in the land of Egypt, Father, show us yourself, and in that sight, we pray that we would be transformed to look more like Jesus. We would be changed by that image from one degree of glory to the next. Help me to speak boldly and clearly. Help us all to understand your word and to worship you because of what is contained within your good word to us. Thank you for what the Spirit says to the churches. Help us to listen carefully and to let that seed grow up and save our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned last time, one of the most famous of the Near Eastern Law Codes is the Code of Hammurabi. And that code contains the slave laws last. God's law puts the slave laws first. As soon as we've talked about the key preliminary things, the mediator, and the altar at the end of chapter 20, we immediately move to ten rulings on slaves. Five rulings on male slaves, five rulings on female slaves. God regulates slavery because it is one of his top priorities. He puts it first because he cares for and frees slaves. So there is a great deal here. We will talk about slavery in general First of all, Israelite slavery, I want to posit, is hardly worthy of the name. If you look uh, through the Old Testament, there's basically three major points to this. The first is the one right here in our text. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free. Slavery is capped at seven years. Or six years. There is no slavery longer Than six years there's no lifetime slavery so you can't permanently enslave an israelite that's the first thing to notice now uh, our thoughts are immediately okay fine you can't permanently enslave an israelite what about a non-israelite well genesis 17 addresses that where god says every slave servant you have every slave you have has to be an israelite so Genesis 17, verse 12, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any stranger who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. God says there are no loopholes here. If you buy a slave, he is circumcised Israelite there is no such thing as a non-Israelite slave belonging to an Israelite you buy him he becomes part of your household you must circumcise him and therefore put the sign of the covenant upon him you can't permanently enslave an Israelite and every slave you buy every slave born in your house has to become an Israelite God says ethnicity has nothing to do with this Doesn't matter whether he's of your blood or not, you can't permanently keep him. And then finally, this is the real kicker, escaping from slavery carries no penalty whatsoever. This is worth reading. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 23, because this law seems very surprising. certainly goes against what your preconceptions might be. But God is very clear. Deuteronomy 23.15 You shall not give back to his master, the slave who has escaped from his master, to you. He may dwell with you in your midst, in the place which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him. You shall not molest him. If a slave walks away, the master can't claim him. He has, he's allowed to live wherever he wants. Start over. Have a new life. The New Testament says the same thing in an even shorter form. We just read it. Ephesians 6.9 Masters give up threatening knowing that their master and yours is in heaven. Masters give up threatening. Slavery is built on threats. You don't cooperate, I will beat you. You don't work, you will be sold to a cruel master. Paul says, masters, you are not allowed to threaten. And by removing the element of coercion, which is key to slavery, Paul neutralizes the institution. But of course, Moses had done that long since in Deuteronomy 23, saying there is no penalty for leaving. So that background needs to be understood as we then read the Ten Judgments on Slaves here in the rest of Exodus 21. Slavery was something that existed in ancient Israel. And it's true. God never says, you shall not own slaves. But he does regulate it out of existence. There is uh, there's no doubt about that if you fairly look at the text. That Especially this Deuteronomy 23 law that a slave can walk whenever he feel like feels like it, basically puts an end to anything that we would consider to be slavery. So we turn now to the rest of the rulings on male debt slaves. If you notice, each of these verses begins with the word if. If you buy a Hebrew servant. If he comes in. If his master has given him a wife. If the servant says, then his master shall bring. So there's one major if. If you buy the Hebrew servant, and then there's five minor ifs that are four minor ifs that follow it, adding extra details. This kind of case, this kind of law is typically called a case law. It's a common law, court procedure type thing saying, here's a scenario, here's the facts, here's the ruling. Now, if you ever had to suffer through a constitutional law class, you're familiar with the fact that Court cases in our society usually take three or four pages to summarize the facts and then give you three or four more pages of ruling. God's word boils the facts down to half a sentence. If you buy a Hebrew slave, that's your scenario. You buy a Hebrew slave. Now, we read this and say, well, I have so many questions. What about, is this everything the Bible has to say about slavery? The answer is no. No. Is this a complete civil law code on slavery? No. And it is not intended to be. When God says, these are the judgments which you shall set before them, He is saying, in addition to the civil law codes that your civil rulers will enact, here are moral considerations that you must keep in mind. God is not replacing the work of a legislature. He is supplementing it, saying, whatever laws you pass have to agree with this. So This is a ruling that applies in a certain scenario, if you buy an Israelite slave. But it is consistent with the rest of Israelite law. That's the point. So, five rulings. Historically speaking, why would you buy a Hebrew servant? the answer seems to be, according to what the scholars scholars can figure out, is because this guy has racked up debts too big to work off. If you're an Israelite who can't manage your money, you run up credit card debt. Uh, I saw in my statement this week, if you pay only the minimum amount every month, it should take you about 12 years to pay off this balance. Well, right, that is... The kind of financial behavior that if you pay that minimum amount for that long and you pay the extra many, many thousands of dollars, soon you're in debt, up to your eyeballs if you keep adding a balance that size every month. And then what do you do? In our day, you go down to bankruptcy court and you say, I will never be able to pay this off. And the judge says, okay, creditors, eat it. He'll never pay you back. The ancients didn't think that way. And in fact, most countries today don't think that way. For example, there's no bankruptcy law in the People's Republic of China. Well, God says, instead of bankruptcy, instead of just telling the creditors to eat it, if you loan somebody some money, and he comes to you and says, look, I'm 50 million shekels in debt, there is no way I am ever going to pay this off. You don't say, okay. We'll write off that bad debt. Instead, you say, well, I will pay your debt and you will serve me for seven years. You will be my slave for the next six years. Debt slavery. Or you find a local contractor who's willing to work the guy and pay you whatever he thinks the value of six years of labor will be. And then you sell this indebted person to the local debt slaver. Now, that can sound harsh but the question is what do you do with somebody who can't manage himself debt slavery is a way of dealing with the person who is unable to live a financially constructive life who maybe has good intentions but at the end of the month always seems to be short some shekels and after a while is so far behind that they're never going to catch up and it's very obvious God says, take that person, give him six years to work it off, live with a family that will train him and help him, keep him as their domestic servant. And maybe at the end of six years, he'll feel confident in his ability to go back out into the world and to live a financially viable life. Or maybe at the end of six years, he will say, I am way better off here than I am on my own. I love my master, my wife, and my children, and I will stay for life because, frankly, it's nice to not have to worry about being in debt at the end of every month. That is where this concept of slavery comes from. Right, so what do we need to say to the critics before you start yelling about the Bible's perceived failures on slavery? You need to ask what is a slave? Aristotle defines the slave as the person who is unable to manage himself which is exactly what the debt slavery concept is all about. This is somebody who cannot make his own decisions and manage his own affairs. He runs his life into the ground. And you can't solve the problem of what to do with those who can't manage themselves by saying, teach them to manage themselves. It doesn't work that way. The problem is that they can't. We go over this in English 1 every year reading the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. I present Aristotle's definition and then I ask the ninth graders, are there any such people? Are there people who cannot manage themselves? And they all say, no way! Uh Uh-uh, there are no such people. And I say, okay, drug addicts, the mentally ill, the developmentally disabled, can these people manage themselves and live a normal independent life on their own? Oh, well, No, they can't. God adds to that list people who are financially unable to control themselves. What do you do with these people? I would posit that it's not self-evident that institutionalizing them in prisons or asylums is somehow morally superior to selling them to the highest bidder for that person to get the economic value, the work that he can Out of them. Well, that's what is going on here. Debt slavery. You buy a Hebrew servant, which is somebody who is unable financially to handle himself. He serves six years. In the seventh year, he goes out free. So that's kind of the major ruling. This only can last six years without the slave's consent. Now, there are additional sub-rulings under this. If he comes in by himself, he goes out by himself. If he comes in married, his wife goes out with him. So, if he's married before he goes into debt slavery, he comes out the other side still married. But, post-slavery, enslavement trumps marriage. If his master gives him a wife, the wife stays with the master and he goes out by himself. And we say, what? That's not fair. But you have to turn around and ask, Does marriage terminate slavery? That is, if there's a woman who's a slave, can she just say, well, I'll get married and then my slavery is over? Obviously not. Right, so God is saying, He's not saying that this woman is a slave forever and ever. At the end of six years, her time is up as well. But if the servant decides, I will stay, then he can stay. So that's the the basic rulings on male debt slaves. Buy them, work them, let them go. Meanwhile, then there's five rulings on the female slave. If a man sells his daughter to be a slave concubine. Now this is a very different scenario. Rather than being sold because she can't pay her debts... This woman is sold for the purpose of marriage. Typically, again, by a family in dire financial straits. It's a way of saying, Well, daughter, we don't have much, but if we sell you to so-and-so and he wants you for his wife or his son's wife, then he will give us a large sum of money that will get us out of our financial difficulties. Now, still, we listen to that and say, That sounds really weird. But God is saying, this happens in this society. And he regulates it. He doesn't outlaw it. He regulates it. So a man sells his daughter to be a slave concubine. That doesn't expire at the end of six years. The wife doesn't say, well, it's been a nice marriage for six years. I'm out of here. Her tenure as slave concubine is indeed for life. But if a man purchases a woman like this and doesn't end up marrying her himself, there are three rulings here. The first is, well, it's three things he can do. The first is sell her back to her people. He shall let her be redeemed. He shall not sell her to a foreign people, but only to her own people. So she can go back to the family. Now they have to pay for her, but she can go back. Or he can marry her to his son and treat her like a daughter. She's not a lesser member of the family. She's a full-blown daughter-in-law. Or, finally, the man can provide for her for life. Say, well, you're a member of the household. I didn't end up marrying you. I don't have any sons to marry to you. But you're here. We'll take care of you. You can be part of this household. And if he does that, he has to keep her food, her clothing. And then the third word... Perhaps oil, it's not clear what exactly that word refers to. Most Bible translations say marriage rights, which works if she's already married and the guy takes a second wife. Doesn't work so well if she didn't end up marrying anybody in the household. So, this is the Bible's first reference to divorce. If he takes another wife and then he fails to care for the first wife, the first wife is allowed to divorce him for free without paying money. Now, in our culture, divorce is expensive. It doesn't matter how wronged you are. But in that culture, God says, if you're a wronged wife, if you were sold to be married to this guy, and then he marries somebody else and stops providing for you, you can walk. The marriage is over. You don't have to say, well, I'm married to the guy, I'm stuck here, even though he's not feeding me or giving me anything to wear. In other words, if this applies to the slave wife, how much more to the free wife? God says up front, first divorce law in the Bible, you can get a divorce if your husband does not provide. That is, in fact, grounds for divorce. Even for a slave wife, and therefore, how much more for a free wife? Now, under the rest of Israelite civil law, if you wanted a divorce... Without cause, you did have to pay money. There was a fine basically levied on the person who said, I want out of this divorce. But if it was a fa- fault divorce where you could say, my husband is at fault, you walked. You go out free without paying that fine. So what is the point? When we look at this law, these laws on slaves and we say, this is so foreign, I am never going to sell my daughter. I am never going to buy a woman to be my slave concubine. That's just weird. This is not the Bronze Age. Why why are these laws here? The reality is that God cares about slaves. The book of Exodus has been all about that. Chapters 1-19. through Israel is enslaved in Egypt and God comes to them and says to Pharaoh, Let my people go that they may serve me. And now... God says, now that you've been let go, you're still enslaving each other. I get it. Somebody who racks up these debts, you have the right to try to get what you can out of him. Maybe don't loan him so much next time. But if you loan money to somebody and he doesn't pay, you can force him to work for you. That's slavery. But how you treat that slave is very important to God. God doesn't say, well, he's a bad financial manager, therefore you can do whatever you want with him. No. Far from it. Even though he's a person who can't manage himself, and this applies to every kind of person who can't manage themselves, God says there are regulations, there are rules, there are limits. You can do certain things and you may not do certain things. And here's what some of the key principles are. The treatment of slaves is near the heart of God. It's one of his top priorities. And that challenges us. As people who have been rescued from slavery to sin, do we care for those who are still enslaved? Those who can't care for themselves, can't manage themselves, in the broadest definition. right, most important category of that is obviously our children, second only to our aging parents your children are too young to care for themselves, they are at your mercy. Same thing with your parents. When they're old and infirm and in the nursing home, their minds are gone. What do you do? How do you treat these people who cannot manage themselves? God says, I care about these people. They are the first thing that I'm going to treat. Right? Not the law of borrowed property, Not even the death penalty cases, the capital crimes, which we'll take up next week. But even before we get to that stuff, we're going to talk about those who can't handle themselves. Do you have time for those people? Or do you only care to deal with those who are well and able and self-regulating? Ones who are well and able and self-regulating are a lot easier to deal with most of the time. That's not where God starts. He starts with these ones who can't care for themselves. The ones who are terrible financial managers. The ones who are enslaved because of their lack of ability to care for themselves. God cares about slaves. That's why He sent His Son to free us from slavery to sin. That's why He gives us these rules to say, you care for these people. Don't say, I have no time for that. God had time for it. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to learn from these slave laws. We pray that we would live as your covenant people, the ones who have been given freedom from sin, freedom from a worse Egypt, a worse Pharaoh. Help us then as we care for those who are mentally, physically not able to exercise the same kind of adult human freedom that we have. Help us to love them, care for them, to prioritize them as you do. Lord, we thank you that you freed the slaves and that you have taken us from slaves and made us sons, made us friends. Help us to live that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.